Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. I wanted to start off this morning with something fun. If you don't know, my name is Peyton, and (laughs) my husband and I have the incredible opportunity to um, lead the youth ministry here at Church 214. Um, So if you um, currently are serving in the Youth 214 ministry, can you please stand? I could not do it without them. Thank you, guys. Just want to publicly thank you. All right. So I told my students that if they showed up and they brought a friend, or whoever has the most friends, we'll see how this goes, um, they will win a gift card. Carson and Jamie, you don't get Danielle. She is my invite. (laughs) I claim her, so I should just get the gift card. I'm just kidding. Okay, so over here in the house is a lot of my students. Is there anybody else I'm missing? I can't hardly see out there. Bella, I see you back there. All right, so if you're a student, I want you to go ahead and stand up. All right, Zach, yep, that includes you. All right, so this is how this is going to work. If you brought a friend with you, stay standing. If you did not, sit down. No! She does not count. All right, so this is $25 to Chick-fil-A, otherwise known as gold from heaven, right? Okay, so whoever, whichever one of you on the count of three can get up here as fast as you can and grab this gift card from my hand wins, right? Are you ready? Here we go, count with me. One, two, three, go! Who's got it, who's got it, who's got it? Ah! Oh wait, oh, you're getting on the stage, oh hey, okay, okay. Eliza, that's where it's at, girl. All right. <laughs> I had a flashback of when Dalton got on the stage. I got goosebumps and a little freaked out. That was well-deserved. Great job. Okay. I like to have fun in church. That's why I'm leading the youth ministry, right? All right. So that was super fun. I'm out of breath because I was so nervous. I wasn't even running. Okay. All right, we're going to start in Proverbs 29. So if you have your Bibles or you want to scroll on your phone, go ahead and go move there with me. I'm just going to catch my breath for a minute. All right, here we go. Whoever stubbornly refuses to accept criticism will suddenly be destroyed beyond recovery. Constructive criticism is good, guys. When the godly are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked are in power, they groan. The man who loves wisdom brings joy to his father. But if he hangs around with prostitutes, his wealth is wasted. A just king gives stability to his nation, but one who demands bribes destroys it. To flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. To say things your friends want to hear is to lay a trap for their feet. Evil people are trapped by sin. But the righteous escape, shouting for joy. The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked, they don't care at all. Mockers can get a whole town agitated, but the wise will calm anger. If a wise person takes the fool to court, there will be ranting and ridicule, but no satisfaction. The bloodthirsty hate blameless people, but the upright seek to help them. Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. If a ruler pays attention to liars, all his advisors will be wicked. The poor and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives sight to the eyes of both. If a king judges the, pair for, the poor for, fairly, words, wow. Okay, okay. Someone can turn the wind off here. <laughs> Whatever it's called. Actually, keep it on. I'm sweating. Okay. Already read that one. Here we go. To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. When the wicked are in authority, sin flourishes, but, but, God's word says, they will live to see, the, down- the godly will live to see their downfall. I'm going to just stay over here. Number two, or it says it twice. Discipline your children and they will give you peace of mind and they will make your heart glad. When people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. 
but whoever obeys the law is joyful. Words alone will not discipline a servant. The words may be understood, but they are not heeded. There is more hope for a fool than for someone who speaks without thinking. A servant pampered from childhood will become a rebel. An angry person starts fights. A hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sin. Pride ends in humiliation. I think we all need to hear this. While humility brings honor. If you assist a thief, you only hurt yourself. You are sworn to tell the truth, but you dare not testify. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord means safety. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice comes from the Lord. The righteous despise the unjust, the wicked despise the godly. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. So this is an excellent chapter in the Bible that compares the world versus the godly, right? Because the world wants one thing from us, but God expects another from us. For example, one I'm working on in my own life, fools vent their anger. Katie and Sarah can testify, right? But the wise quietly hold it back. First thing I do is I get on Marco Polo and I'm like, ah, blah, 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 look what they did to me, right? I'm not alone. Marco Polo. Sorry, babe. I know you don't love it. The godly care about the rights of the poor. The wicked don't care at all. And one more. Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. But what I want to highlight today is Proverbs 29, 25. And this is what it says. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting in the Lord means safety. Another version, the Amplified Version says, oh, there it is. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in and puts his confidence in, the Lord will be exalted and safe. Another version reads, people are trapped by their fears of others. Those who trust in the Lord are secure. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be trapped. I want to be secure. Last one, the message version, my personal favorite. The fear of human opinion disables. Trusting in the Lord protects you from that. The fear, the terror, the concentration, the worry, the distraction of human opinion disables, damages it damages us. It impairs us. It immobilizes us. It paralyzes us. It's paralyzing me. So I know it's paralyzing somebody in here. But trusting in God protects us from that. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now that you would remove any stony, stubborn hearts in this room and you would replace it with tender and responsive hearts. Because people need you, Jesus, and they need your freedom, God, that you give. So, Lord, I pray that you just speak through me, that these wouldn't be my words, but they would be yours through me, Jesus. And I pray that each and every person would walk away with a changed heart. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you're taking notes, today's message title is Distraction Kills Purpose. Distraction Kills Purpose. Each and every one of us was made on purpose for a purpose. And God's word says it, so it must be true. You, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Yes, you are. You can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. His word is pretty clear, but why are we so distracted? Why are we constantly questioning who we are? Why is it that when you find out someone specific is coming to a party, you go and change your outfit? Incident happened this morning. I looked at Dalton and I was like, oh, babe, it's supposed to be like 60 some degrees. I can't wear this outfit. 
people are going to be in their cute spring clothes and I'm going to be in my winter clothes. But I stayed in this outfit. It's fine. Why is it that when you're sitting at a restaurant and someone important walks in, so you start to laugh a little louder, sit up a little straighter, maybe even glance their way to see if they're looking at you? Why is it that you hurry and you tidy your home and you cling to perfection before people come over? Why is it that you write emails with grander vocabulary and you speak more intelligently to someone who seems more important to you? Why is it that when someone asks you about your children, you leave out troubling truths to make yourself look better or your child look better? Why is it, my teenagers, that you sit by your Snapchat waiting for that specific cute boy to respond or cute girl, right? Why is it that you're constantly checking to see if that specific person liked your Instagram post? Or you watch those three little bubbles come up and back down, come up and back down. I shouldn't just call out the teenagers because <laughs> it's happened to me. Also, I'm not going to call you out without calling myself out. Two weeks ago, I was sitting down in those chairs just like you. And there was a couple that was here visiting. And I knew the husband from when I was in high school. And you know what I did? I don't even know if I paid attention to the message. I sat there over and over and over again, again in my head, knowing I was about to get on stage and I was about to say something that had impact and had meaning, so I wanted it to be meaningful, so I thought about it for way too long. And then asked myself, Peyton, why was it so important to you to prove yourself to someone from high school? Some of the devil's best work is distracting us from who we are and what our purpose is. We allow these tiny little snippets of our lives, our Instagram posts, our time at the restaurant, our emails to become our identity, to dictate our lives. And so today, I want to get to the bottom of this. I want us to start living in our purpose and living in the freedom that God's called us to live in because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? I need to tell myself that more often. So if you're not taking notes, now is a good time to do so, even though I told you you should at the beginning. It's fine. We're going to talk about two things that distraction does to us today. Number one, steals your identity. And sometimes when I'm taking notes, I spin this to say steals my identity, to make it personal to me. We're going to be reading from 1 Kings 22 today. Funny, I was practicing scripture with my son this week. And the scripture was from um, 1 John 421, I think. And I said, he repeats after me. I said, one John. And he goes, no, first John. I'm like, okay, I got it, son. You know more about the Bible than me. It's okay. I'll take notes. All right. So this story is about 400 prophets, heavy on the quotes. And these prophets are so distracted with pleasing the king that they change who they are to please him instead of God. So in this story, Israel is divided into two nations. How many nations? Students, how many nations? A little louder? Okay, just making sure you're all awake. Okay, so invited into two nations, and the kings of these two nations come together to attack another nation. And this is where we're going to pick up in verse 3. During the visit, the king of Israel said to his officials, Do you realize that the town of Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And yet we've done nothing to recapture it from King Aram. Then he turned to Jehoshaphat, thank you Jesus, my parents didn't name me that, and asked, oh, I don't even know if I'd be able to spell that as a kindergartner. Thanks, Mom and Dad, appreciate that. And asked, will you join me in the battle to recover Ramoth Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied to the king of Israel, why, of course, you and I are as one. My troops are your choice are my troops are your troops and my horses are your horses. Then Jehoshaphat added, but first, let's find out what the what the Lord has to say. So the king of Israel summoned 400 prophets and asked them, "Should I go to war against Ramoth Gilead or should I hold back?" Get this. They all replied, 
Yes, go right ahead. The Lord will give the king victory. Okay, anyone in here have to go to meetings for their job? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hand down. Have any of you been in a meeting where they, someone brings an idea to the table, and there's maybe 15 of you in the meeting, and you all agree at one time? Raise your hand. Isaac, shh, no, you don't. <laughs> okay, okay, for this instance, we're going to say that you don't, okay? And that, <laughs> this didn't work as planned, it's fine. Okay, this guy goes out to 400 people, and they all agree and say, yes, go for it, let's go to war. They didn't even consult the Lord. But you know what they said? They said, the Lord will give the king victory. And if I have learned anything about my journey with God, is that you don't say God said something unless he really did say it. It is one of the most hurtful things that we can do as communicators for God. So hurtful. What you don't know about these 400 prophets is that they were actually paid off by the king to say the things that the king wanted them to say. And some of you are in here right now doing this today. Right? You go along with whatever your boss is doing, even if it's illegal, because you are fearful of losing your job. Or you're so wrapped up in your popularity and in your image that you sit back idle while everyone else is bashing and gossiping the people around you. And I'm not just talking about the high school girls at the lunch table. I'm talking about grown women and men out at restaurants doing it in their homes. Again, I'm not going to call you out without calling myself out. I did it this week. Some of us are so caught up in our success that we will step on whoever we need to to get what we want. You see, every one of these prophets was born on purpose for a purpose. But they compromised who they were. They began to prophesy for the glory of people instead of the glory of the Lord and the anointing of the Lord was lifted off of them. And I think this can stand as a really, really good reminder for us when we're in that in-between of, do I compromise? Do I not? Do I stay? Do I go? Do I partake? Do I not? Let's continue reading. Verse 7. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, well, there is one more man who can consult the Lord for us, but I kind of hate him. He's not in my 400 people who do what I say, right? He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Emilah. So what happens after this? A messenger is sent out to go and find Micaiah wherever he might be. This messenger is crazy. And he has the audacity to say this to Micaiah. Look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king. Be sure you agree and promise success. Like doesn't even give him an option to think about it. He just says, do this. And I just want to pause right here. <laughs> you know, sometimes in the Bible we read stories and we're like, I would never take my eyes off Jesus while walking on the water right? I would never disown Jesus, but I'm going to sit back here while everyone's talking about Jesus in a bad way, but I'm not going to say anything. I would never eat from the tree of the garden that God said not to eat from. But, personal story for me here, there was this prized white box on top of my parents' entertainment center. And I was told, do not get in the white box. Okay, it's fine, I won't. Whoa. What do I do? My parents leave, grab the kitchen chair, put it in front of the entertainment center. I was a little shorter than I am now. <laughs> climbed up on that chair. Still a little too short to reach it, so I climbed on a few more shelves. Grabbed the box. No one was home, I was fine, right? First thing I did, ripped the clear casing off, opened the box, 
If you know my sugar addiction, you know it's real. Inside the box were jelly beans, okay? I ate all the good jelly beans out, shut the box, got back up on that chair, put it back, pushed the chair back in. No one's ever going to know what I did, right? Y'all, those were Ronald Reagan collectible jelly beans. (laughs) When my stepdad found out I opened those, he was red hot mad. I owe you one. (laughs) Obviously, these stories are not the same. But I disobeyed my parents, which in the Bible, what does it say? Obey your parents. My point is, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and think, I can't believe they did that. I wouldn't even think twice about doing that. But... We screamed profanities two days ago at the person who cut us off in traffic. We got on our computer and we looked at a few images because nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to know that I looked at a pornographic image. It's fine. Or we hide things from our spouse. Or we cheat on tests. Or we steal candy and eat things that aren't ours. We all have our sin issues. So what I really want you to do, I want you to ask yourself, if this messenger came to you and said that he and 400 people are agreeing to go to war, and you have two options to respond with. Number one, agree. Go to war, fall in line with 400 dormant prophets. Or, number two, only say what the Lord tells you to say. Do you struggle with human opinion? Are you paralyzed by the thoughts of others? Let me ask you again. Do you struggle with human opinion? Are you paralyzed by the thoughts of others? For the last 20-some years of my life, I have been conforming to the person that I thought other people wanted me to be. Just yesterday, I sat at the kitchen table with my husband, worried what people might think as a woman up here on this stage, questioning whether I should be up here. And he looked at me and he said, it doesn't matter. Then we sang a song that says, I am approved by God. I mean, guys, to the point I cared so much and I thought people wanted me to be a certain way that it was by my hair, it was my clothes, my eyebrows, people. The way I posted on Instagram, the way I made my home look, the way my husband looked, the way my, chi- my children look. I was paralyzed by what people thought of me. So if this question would have a- if someone would have asked me this question a year and a half ago, if this messenger came to me, I would have said, yeah, I'll fall in line with 400 dormant prophets because that's how caught up I was. That's how distracted I was from my purpose. But here's how Micaiah responds. But Micaiah replied, as surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what the Lord tells me to say. We have to, we have to, have to, have to get to a place in our relationship with God that his voice is the only voice we follow and everything else pales in comparison. Everything else. Micaiah spent so much time in the quiet space with God that when it came time to the public place, that when it came time to his identity, that when it came time to who he was, he simply replied, I will only say what the Lord tells me to say. Some of you in here, you're just ho-humming around, having a pity party, stomping your feet ah, in front of God. Because, (laughs) sorry, just wanted that to sink in a little bit. Because you're stuck in self-doubt or God's not speaking to you. God's not speaking to you because you're not meeting with him. Right? If your friend's not talking to you, maybe you should meet with them. Maybe you should reach out to them. That's who God is to us. 
You don't just go weeks and weeks without talking to your friend. You say, hey, you want to get coffee? Hey, you want to go to a movie? Hey, God, I'm carving out this time for you. In the mornings, I'm not saying it has to be in the mornings. It can be in the afternoons. It can be over your lunch. He wants to spend time with you. Y'all, you don't have to stay in your identity crisis any longer. Jesus went to the cross for that. He died for your freedom. And you know what? He rose, right? And the door of the tomb is wide open. Some of y'all didn't hear me. The door of the tomb is wide open, and he just wants you to walk right through it. Right? Because guess what? Shame doesn't hold you. Who you were is forgiven. Fear and doubt leave. You are not ruled by the opinions of others. You are a son. You are a daughter of the king, and that is your identity. Ends up, Micaiah goes, gives a prophecy, and that prophecy comes true. Because he knew his identity, he walked out his purpose. Number two, distraction holds us back from our purpose. This story is from 1 Kings 13. If you want to turn and read here. Again, before we begin reading, I want to unpack some stuff about this story. Jeroboam is the king, and he's leading his people astray. He's worshiping false gods. Not only is he worshiping false gods, he's burning offerings on God's altar to his false gods, which is obviously wrong. And we're going to go ahead and start reading um, in verse 1 to verse 3. At the Lord's command, a man of God from Judah went to Bethel, arriving there just as Jeroboam was approaching the altar to burn incense. Then at the Lord's command, he shouted, O altar, O altar, this is what the Lord says. A child named Josiah will be born into the dynasty of David. On you he will sacrifice the priests from pagan shrines who come here to burn incense and human bones will be burned on you. The same day, the man of God gave a sign to prove his message. He said, the Lord has promised to give this sign. This altar will split apart and its ashes will be poured out on the ground. One of the first things that jumped out at me, one of the things that I love the most about this passage, look up there. It says, a man of God. A man of God. This prophet is referred to as a man of God. And he's not significant in any way, yet the word he gives is significant. And I think all of us can relate to him. Because how often do we think that our stay-at-home mom role is insignificant, but really God's calling you to empower warriors in your home? Or how often we think walking in the doors of our workplace is insignificant when actually you are on a divine assignment to reach people for the glory of the Lord? Or how often it can feel insignificant when you walk into class. Like, why am I studying this again and again? Because God's preparing you for the call he has on your life. Nothing is insignificant because your life has purpose. Immediately after the man of God comes in and denounces Jeroboam's offering, Jeroboam burns with anger. He's the king. He doesn't like to be called out, right? I mean, nobody likes to be called out. What's he do? What does Jeroboam do? He points at him. He points at him and says, seize that man. But instantly, his hand becomes paralyzed in that position, and he could not pull it back. Because the anointing of the Lord on that man of God was so strong that no weapon formed against him prospered. All of Israel watched this encounter. And they stood in awe of the power of God through the young prophet. The most powerful hand in the nation, Jeroboam, king, could not stand against the almighty God. How many of us are doing this right now? Right? Shh. That's what he did. He tried to shut up the man of God. 
How many times are we saying, shut up, God? It's fine. He's a nice guy. He's going to treat me good. I met him at school. He's not going to do anything to me. How often we go, shh, God, it's fine. It's fine, God. Nobody's going to know that I looked up images I shouldn't have. Shh, 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 God, it's okay. This is the right house. This is the right move. This is the right vehicle. This is the right job. This is for me, God. And wouldn't you know, right after Jeroboam realizes that his hand is paralyzed, he looks at the man of God and says, please pray for healing. What does that man of God do? He prays. His hand is instantly restored. He's able to move it again. The same God that restored Jeroboam's hand is the same God that's going to restore you. There's nothing he can't restore. Jeroboam is so moved by what he just experiences, he invites the prophet back to his place. He says, Come to my crib. I'm throwing a bomb party. Right? Charcuterie and wine. You don't want to miss it. You might be a little hungry after. I'm going to give you a new ride, right? A pimped out donkey. (laughs) Just kidding. Not a pimped out donkey. How funny if that was what it was. All he did was offer him a gift. (laughs) Maybe I want a pimped out donkey. We don't know. All right. The young prophet responds. The Lord has commanded me to not eat or drink anything from this corrupt land and to not even leave by the way I came. This is a miraculous story about someone who obeyed God, right? But I am not the only one who struggles to obey God. Who in here struggles to obey God sometimes? Some of y'all are lying. (laughs) Definitely think we need to read the rest of this story. We're going to pick up in verse 11. As it happened, there was an old prophet living in Bethel, and his sons came home and told him what the man of God had done in Bethel that day. They also told their father what the man had said to the king. The old prophet asked them, which way did he go? So they showed their father which road the man of God had taken, And he says, quick, saddle my donkey. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he mounted it, and then he rode after the man of God and found him sitting under a great tree. The old prophet asked him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? Yes, I am, he replied. Then he said to the man of God, come home with me and eat some food. No, I cannot, he replied. I am not allowed to eat or drink anything here in this place. For the Lord gave me this command. You must not eat or drink anything while you are there. And do not return to Judah by the same way you came. But the old prophet answered, hear this. I am a prophet too, just as you are. And an angel gave me this command from the Lord. An angel, bring him home with you so he can have something to eat and drink. But the old man was lying. So they went back together, and the man of God ate and drank at the prophet's home. There's so much to unpack in these verses. But the first thing I want to clear up is that God does not contradict himself. Paul says in Galatians 1.8, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven, who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. Here's the deal. We really don't know why this old prophet chose to lie, but I can venture to suggest a few things. Just like those 400 prophets, the old prophet used to have the anointing of the Lord. The Bible again states that he was an old prophet, a big highlight on that. They say it multiple times. Which leads me to assume that he once walked closely with the Lord and he experienced great miracles and healings. I know that we can all think of one person in our lives who once walked closely with the Lord. And when his sons came home and told him about the young prophet, he was reminded of his glory days. 
right? Y'all know the glory days. Dalton knows the glory days. <laughs> Oftentimes when I go to my in-laws for dinner, we end up reminiscing about Dalton's glory days. Right? Right, babe? Mm-hmm, that's right. All right, his glory days of playing basketball, jumping high jump, all the things, in a young, youthful body. But now he's a lot less flexible with ankles to prove it. <laughs> the old prophet wanted a taste, just like Dalton wants a taste of that young, youthful body on the basketball court, of what it was like to prophesy for God again. He wanted to experience the glory he felt years ago, the excitement, the tingling of his body, which was the Lord at work through him. So he lied, the Bible says. The young prophet heads to his home, and I'm sure they sat and ate and drank good food. Drank good food, what? I'm sure they ate and drank good wine. And they talked about all the encounters they had with God, all the healings and the miracles they experienced. After they're done storytelling, things start to turn tragic. After he's done eating and drinking, he saddles his donkey and he heads home. While going down the road, there was a lion and that lion saw that man of God who disobeyed the word of the Lord. And what did that lion do? He attacked him and he killed him. He was a young prophet. He was a man of God. He prophesied and he saw healings. And y'all, he could have seen so much more, but he missed it. He disobeyed. He got distracted. His life was cut short. His purpose was cut off. And if we all just take one step back and put ourselves in the prophet's shoes and ask ourselves, what am I missing out on that God has for me? What purpose am I not fulfilling? You know, if we are so distracted that we miss what God is doing, he will use somebody else. He will use someone else. Just because the prophet died didn't mean that God's story ended. The Bible proves that the story continued. He just used somebody else. God is faithful to complete the work he began with or without you. Are you in or are you out? His plan will be accomplished. Will it be accomplished through you? I was rocking my son, this picture will pop up here, in the dark of the night a few weeks back. He's so sweet. And the Lord gave me this for each of you. It's so, so simple. We named our son Rhett Arden Oaks, our second born. We choose some pretty intense names for a reason because our kids have purpose. And their names align with their purpose. We chose his name because of Isaiah 61.3. This is what it says. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. The oak tree was breathed into existence by Father God, just like you and just like me. And that oak tree has very few responsibilities. Three things to be exact. Number one, to abide. To remain close to the Father. To grow. 
to stretch, to change, to be moldable in the atmospheres and in the seasons. And when the wind blows, when the wind blows, when the Father speaks, when the wind blows, the oak tree moves. When the Father speaks, we move. We obey. We remain. We stretch. We move. We remain. We stretch. It's a continuous cycle. And it's so simple, guys. It's so, so simple. Would you stand with me? God wants to free some people in here today. I could feel it while I was prepping this message, guys. There are people in this room who need freedom. So this is what's going to happen. The band's going to play some music. And if you feel like you're supposed to move, I want you to move up here. Whether you're supposed to stand or sit. Listen, sometimes God's stirring in us. It's just this pull, this like urge of like, I got to move. Don't miss an opportunity to act on it. A couple months ago, I um, sat in a prayer session with my husband, with a dear friend of mine, Stephanie. And in that session, I began to forgive people, people from my childhood all the way into my adult years. You know what happened? As I forgave those people, the pressures of their approval began to lift off of me. I walked out of that basement, up the stairs, outside, and I felt like it was a fresh start, a clean slate, knowing that my approval and the opinion of the Heavenly Father is the only thing that matters. So if you feel like you need freedom, it's not just freedom from opinion of others. It's freedom from depression. It's freedom from anxiety. It's freedom from addiction. It's freedom from drug addiction. It's freedom from alcoholism. It's freedom from pornography. The Lord wants to break the chains, guys, right? Because when he broke the chains, he went to the cross for us to have freedom. Now's the time to move if you feel like you're supposed to move. Pride ends in humiliation. While humility brings honor. Nobody's looking. Everybody's dealing with their own stuff. Maybe you need to hear it again. Pride ends in humiliation. While humility brings honor. When the wind blows, right? When the Father speaks, we move. We move with the wind. We move with his voice. A while back, I sat at lunch with this incredible person who's new to my life, but he has changed my family for the better. And I looked at him. And I said, hey, I felt like God told me that you were supposed to move in that moment a couple weeks ago. Did you feel that way? And he looked at me and he goes, yeah.
I told him this week, this is his chance to move. And he did. He moved because he is letting the approval of others break off of him. And some of you in here, you need the same thing. It doesn't matter if you're a student. doesn't matter if you're an adult. doesn't matter if you're the youngest one in this room or the oldest. Listen, y'all. You're going to stand before Jesus one day. And you're going to give an account of your life. And he's going to look at you. And he's going to say, well done, my son. You moved. Or he's going to look at you and he's going to say, what the heck? You missed it. I want to break you down so that I can use you for my glory, so you can step into your purpose. I'm going to go ahead and pray. If there's anybody else while the music is playing, I just want you to come up. I'm going to come stand down here. I'm going to be on my knees. I'm going to pray over people because that's what we do as the body. Even if you're not up here but someone you love is down here, you come put your hands on them. That's what we do as the church. We put our hands on them and we pray over them. We pray freedom. We pray chains are broken. We pray that lives are healed. In the name of Jesus. God can't do anything unless you first kneel before him. He's not, he's not going to try to work with this broken heart. or I'm sorry, he's not going to try to work with this stony, stubborn heart. He wants to work. He wants to work in these lives down here. He wants to work in the tender and responsive hearts. That's what he wants to do. Standing in front of me is an incredible father. I mean, incredible. He has endured And his wife stands up here too. Two people that I love dearly who continue to endure. And you know what? His daughter, Evie, how old are you? 12 years old. Has her hand on her daddy. Interceding. Because that's the heart of this church. That's the heart of God's whole church. Not just this church. Every church. Don't miss your moment, guys. Don't miss it. He's moving. His presence is here, guys. Chains broken because he went to the cross. The door wide open. The door wide open. What else is happening down here? Let me tell you because I got a great view. Two men who lead in my student ministry. Two men that I dearly love. One being my husband. One being that incredible dad. And you know who stands behind him? One of my students, guys, God's not messing around. He's working in the lives of our students. This student is interceding on behalf of his leaders. Come on. Some of y'all are still in that little pity party, ho-humming around like y'all crazy. God's doing something here. He's breaking chains. He wants to break your chains off too. Like I said, he's not messing around. He's not here to play. He's here to bring freedom. Church, go ahead and stretch your hands out. If you feel like you're supposed to come up and lay hands on someone, come on down right now. If there's someone up here that you love, maybe someone you don't even know, come up here. Hands on them. Hands on them. Guys, there's someone down here with no hand on her. Who wants it? Come on, let's go. Whole church. Everybody needs hands on somebody. Whether it's a person standing next to you or it's the people down here, whoever it might be. Hands on somebody. Let's touch the people next to us. Freedom's here, guys. I can feel it. I can feel it. The presence is here, Jesus. Chains are being broken in this place. So what I want you to do, even if you're in your seats, I just want you to join hands with somebody you're sitting next to. Make sure everybody has somebody. Don't leave anybody without a hand. Thank you, Eliza Jane. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. He's moving. I can feel him. 
Here we go, guys. Anybody else who feels like they need to come forward? Now's your time. Jesus, you are a good father, and you want good things for your children. You don't want them to stay in their chains any longer. So re-release freedom. We release freedom over addiction. We release freedom over physical pain. We release freedom over pornography addictions. We release freedom over anxiety and depression, Jesus. Those are broken off. They don't rule us any longer, Jesus. The opinions of others is broken off. Our broken hearts are restored, Jesus, just like you restored Jeroboam's hand. You restore us, God. You restore us, God. We're bending low before you, God, so you can restore us, God. All the way back, generations back ago, you're restoring. The generations back and the generations forward, you are calling for freedom. You're breaking off things of people who aren't even in this room, God. But... Because we are bending low before you, you're breaking it. Some of us are up here for other people, not even for ourselves, interceding. I thank you, God. I pour out your favor, God. Legacies are changing. Broken marriages are being healed. Teenagers are walking away from addiction, from pornography, from lying. From going behind their parents' back, they're saying they're done. From smoking, from drugs, all of it. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your freedom that you freely give because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And, and if there's someone out there who doesn't know you, Jesus, right now, right now, if that's you, I just want you to pray in your heart. Confess that he is Lord confess that he is Lord. Believe it in your heart and he will come and stay because some of you need him. I've watched generations in my own family of addiction and my husband and I have stood up and said, no more. We're done with it. Just like y'all are doing down here saying you're done. It is broken off in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. We raise our white flag, God, our surrender, God. Our stubbornness, God, is broken. Our hearts are broken for you to use, God, for you to heal, God, for you to restore, God, for you to move, God, for you to answer the questions we've been asking, for you to show up, for you to change the past generations and the future generations, God. The band's going to play, and I just want you to stay down here and worship. Jesus, thank you for showing up today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your freedom. It's in your name we pray. Amen.